What is up? Glad to have you here. It is three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. BJ Bennett alongside Ben Troop. Hope you're doing well. We have a lot to get to today as we'll preview the SEC championship game a couple of days out now from Georgia and Alabama. And I have an interesting thought, Ben, on this game. I think you might agree with me. Entering Saturday, is Alabama actually underrated a little bit? We'll get into that in terms of this matchup, uh, but we'll talk some SEC football. Obviously, the coaching carousel, Greg Gilmore, former nose tackle for the LSU Tigers. He will join us. Uh, we'll talk about Brian Kelly to LSU. We will also chat with Dave Holcomb, southernpigskin.com, and get his thoughts. He has a preview up on the ACC championship game might be a high-scoring game between uh, Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. We'll chat with Dave about that. And, Ben, this week's Troop Talk, you sit down with former Florida Gator defensive tackle Adam Schuler. So we're looking forward to that as well. A lot of college football talk coming your way. Tweet at us, at Pigskin Radio. But uh, breaking news today, uh, Christian Gokel and the guys covered it on, on second down. Sean Quinn, head football coach at Savannah State, has stepped down has resigned. Uh, more on that, uh, what that could potentially mean in a moment uh, for Coach Quinn, but you're talking about a guy, Ben, that uh, did a great job at Savannah State, uh, was hired in February of 18 as the defensive coordinator, then later that year became the interim head coach uh, in his first uh, uh, head coach full season, went 7-3, and 5-0 and in conference play uh, in the SEAC, and then you had the uh, COVID 2020 season, but a 1-1 one -one record in the spring, and then this past year, uh, first eight-win season for Savannah State since 1994, 8-2, and 5-1 and in the SEAC. Uh, great success for Sean Quinn. I know we really enjoyed uh, our, our, our time around him, getting to chat with him, getting to visit with him, getting to know him a little bit. Christian Gokel, of course, did a great job with the Sean Quinn Show. I know, Ben, on a number of different occasions, uh, you went up and spoke to Savannah State and, and uh, spent some time with Coach Quinn, and obviously we wish him the best moving forward, but just – Great success and made a major impact and uh, uh, had just a lot of success on the field, off the field, was a real winner at Savannah State. Sean Quinn was one of them ones. And uh, those are, these, these are football terms that I'm saying, football phrases. It sells when you come across a coach that's about as transparent, as open as, as Sean Quinn is, BJ. And he really, really loved those young men. And that's not something that you're going to hear me say a lot of times. Sean Quinn gave us all – to a program that was going through transition when he got there, going from D1 to D2. Uh, BJ really going through a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, unforeseen challenges that he couldn't uh, foresee, uh, you know, when he took the job, but didn't run from a challenge. They went an entire year in 2020 without football, and those young men believed in his vision. They stood the test of time. They only got it. They had to watch the game they'd grown up loving and watching everybody else have a season. They didn't have a season. They overcame a lot of adversity when they was there. They had a young man there that had cancer that had two questions when he got diagnosed. One, am I going to be cancer? And two, Coach Quinn, do I still have a scholarship? So when you talk about a guy that made an impact, Sean Quinn, Savannah State is much better because of Sean Quinn. He will definitely be missed. That's not something that you're going to hear me say a lot. But Sean Quinn was a good man as well as a great coach. He got it done on the field, too. Make no mistake about it. Most of the time when you talk about, uh, BJ, talking about a person accolades, you're talking about what they meant to the team, what they meant to the community, what they meant to the university. Oh, make no mistake about it. They, that conference they was in, ask anybody that played them boys. They was big, it was big-time football. But I always know this. A guy like Sean Quinn, and I, I, I said this, BJ, I know, I know that Sean Quinn had a 10-year plan. He never said that he was going to be there to see that 10-year plan, plan come to the forefront. But Sean Quinn is a hell of a coach. He can coach. He's great with people. He got a chance to know he got a chance to know the Golden Isles a little bit, BJ. I mean, you know, we calling him up and down, you know, in the, you know, uh, in, you know, in Southeast Georgia. But 
I'm going to miss him because of the man he was, because of the coach he was, and what he meant to what he meant to his team, his coaching staff, and you know, and that community. But yeah, man, I mean, I, I wish him nothing but the best. He did it the right way. Um, he didn't. He didn't listen. I beat you. Didn't we have him on one time? And he was painting the locker room. He was painting the locker room one time. We had. He, he stopped painting for a second. So Sean Quinn is one of the ones. He he believes in what he says. He goes out and rolls his sleeves up. He didn't make excuses. And I believe the Savannah State is in a much better place. And BJ, whoever have to whoever have a, whoever has to come behind him, you got some big shoes to fill because we talking as if this man didn't get it done on the field. No, they they did get it done on the field from the opening go. And I don't – and, B.J., in 2020, they, they last game, didn't they score like a basketball number or something like that against the team they played against with Sean Quinn? Listen, great man, uh, a great leader of young men. And, B.J., he is that coach. You say when you are a coach in college, it's not about the wins and the losses. You are there to lead young men. That's what he did. And though if, if you are currently at Savannah State, yes, it's okay uh, to feel bad that you're losing a – a great mentor, a great father figure, a great coach, and Sean Quinn. But if you're, but I guarantee you are a better person, a better young man uh, because of him. He will be missed around, uh, you know, Savannah, Georgia, man. But uh, whoever gets Sean Quinn, uh, whatever he does decide to, you know, whatever whatever staff he does decide to be on, or if he leads the staff, who knows? They are getting a great coach, but an even greater man. And uh, yes, he's definitely going to be missed. Yeah, and, and I believe uh, uh, Coach Quinn made a post on Twitter. Uh, where there was a line in there that said, it's not goodbye, it's I'll see you down the road. And and Sean Quinn's one of those guys. I think, you know, you see him in, you know, five years, ten years. I mean, he's he's going to remember you. He's going to, you know, talk about the special things that you did if you played for him. So uh, there are reports, and again, uh, these are reports, footballscoop.com reporting that Sean Quinn is headed to Virginia Tech with their new head coach, uh, Brent Pry, who was at Georgia Southern uh, in 2010. So that's a report from Football Scoop. But I think today about thinking about all that Sean Quinn did at Savannah State, appreciating uh, his impact. And, uh, Cam, I know we have some uh, audio from earlier today, Sean Quinn speaking with the media. All joking aside is this was the worst football program in America at any level. I I can say that unequivocally when we got here. And, you know, last night there was an interesting thing that happened. As a football coach, my daughter had a birthday a month and a half ago, and I still hadn't got her a present. And I got done recruiting up just past Cooler, so I stopped in Tanger Outlets, and I walk in the Nike Outlet. And in the front door, I open the door, and there's a Savannah State section. And I'll be honest with you, I started bawling because I'm like, this would have never happened a couple years ago. And so that, to me, is is success, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, seeing the things, people having pride and people stopping in town and people giving a rip, um, that's pretty cool. See the emotion there, Ben, and uh, obviously Coach uh, cares a lot about Savannah State, about the program, about the people. I think highlighted you know a lot of the great opportunities that are at Savannah State uh, and uh, some of the potential that uh, you know this program has shown the last couple of years. Again, uh, right up there is, is is a national name at the Division II level, but uh, emotion from uh, Coach Quinn there, and uh, you can tell that this is a place and a program that means a lot to him. Yeah, BJ, and uh, the one thing uh, I want to definitely speak on behalf of Coach Quinn is the same thing I would say as being a former athlete. They're people, too, now. Like, we get caught up in these coaches as if to say they don't have families. They don't have feelings and emotions. And and you could tell when, when he said – when Sean Quinn said this was the worst program, you know it's coming from a good place to let you guys know what he inherited. But he's also talking about – he's talking about where they were, not where they are. And I, I, I believe Savannah State has a, a bright future ahead of them. And, and people forget this now. People think because coaches move on, they're no longer going to have any ties to the program. I guarantee you, 
wherever Sean Quinn ends up, he's going to still lend his influence, any, any, any type of resource he has, BJ, to help that community. Because it's about that community as on top of Savannah State, not just Savannah State. But look, I've been around a lot of coaches. I've been coached by a lot of coaches. And they don't make him like Sean Quinn. As transparent as he was, as open as he was, as, as given as he was, but on top of that, he still got it done. X and O's, he knows the game, but he loves these young men. He's, he's coached BJ, obviously, at big-time programs, you know, you know, before even taking the job at Savannah State. It took a special man, a special person, you know, a special individual to be the head coach of Savannah State, and I believe that uh, Sean Quinn you know, fit all those. Uh, I know the OPO BJ is going to be out there, you know, trying to find it. He's, it's going to be hard to replace a Sean Quinn for his impact on that community and that team. But shout out to Sean Quinn, man. He did it the right way. Uh, you know, he kept it 100 the whole time. He he didn't he didn't uh, he didn't uh, he dotted all the eyes crossed across all the T's. But he did what he said he was going to do. That's all you can ask for. But uh, every, no coach is there for every BJ. I mean, BJ, your the, the team you love is you know Florida State with Bobby Bowden. They're not going to be in a more 40, 50 year run. That's that's not going to happen. I mean, Bobby Bowden, outside of being one of the greatest, I mean, he's a unicorn. They're not going to give a coach that much. Well, John Calipari did sign a lifetime contract with Kentucky, whatever that means. But shout out to Coach Sean Quinn, man. He did it the right way. I'm happy for him. Wherever, wherever he ends up, like I said, I'm talking about the man first, the coach second, but he didn't – He, you know, he, uh, he left no stone unturned. He did the right way, BJ. And did I say, I believe the Savannah State four years ago was in shambles. I believe they are much farther ahead now as a program – you know, hopefully as a city, as a community, and hopefully they got to go out there and replace them now. And I know Coach talking about the, uh, you know, the value of two potential candidates, his coordinators, uh, offensive coordinator uh, Russell DeMossi, defensive coordinator uh, Tommy Sims, coaches that have had a lot of success, big-time names uh, that, 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 that are obviously very strong candidates uh, for Savannah State. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop here with you. We are glad to be with you on 3 and Out. We'll come back. And Greg Gilmore, former tackle for the LSU Tigers will join us. We'll get his thoughts on an LSU program that Brian Kelly is now leading from Notre Dame to LSU, and we'll get his thoughts playing in the SEC West as well. He will join us next, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Coach at Notre Dame, the all-time winningest coach in Notre Dame football history, now at LSU. And with us now to talk about that, former star defensive lineman for the Tigers, Greg Gilmore. Greg, good afternoon. How are you? Greg, you with us? Yep, yep. I'm here. Yep, all right, Greg, glad to have you here. Sorry about some technical difficulties there, but uh, Brian Kelly comes comes to LSU from Notre Dame. You're talking about one of the top coaches in the country, a guy that's made the college football playoff a couple of times, close to 300 wins. When you found out Brian Kelly uh, was the hire, what was, your, what was your reaction? Yeah, man, so, you know, my initial thoughts were probably a little different from everybody else, you know, um, I'm kind of close to LSU, and I know every all the rumors. I know what's going on, and I thought Lincoln Riley was our guy. You know, I, I honestly thought that, um, and I thought after we didn't get him that we we're going to be going to our fourth or fifth option. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so I was kind of I was kind of sad to see that you know, LSU didn't get who they wanted to get. But I, but not, and then I started doing my research on this coach, and I started I did a lot of research on this coach. I started to hear a lot of podcasts on this coach, and man, I really love this hire. I really love this hire, man. And and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, you know, besides his age, but besides where he coached that, man, he's a great coach and he has the ability to, I think, take LSU to the next level. And Greg, even, even sticking with that, most people understand how big of a brand LSU is, but what does it say about the brand 
when you can get a guy like Brian Kelly, who, let's face it, I mean, Notre Dame is the premier, it might not be the premier football uh, brand in the country, but it's one of the biggest brands, if not the biggest in the country. To be able to get a coach of that caliber to come to LSU shows that LSU, it, it becomes, outside of being a big-time school, it's it's Mr. Steel, your coach right now. Right. And first of all, you got to think about this. First of all, I want to say that the LSU head coach is the best job in the state of Louisiana. I'll say that. Um, you know, and second of all, you're not you're not going to be a 60 year old coach, one of the most winningest coach, and um, and not be ready to take on a heavy challenge. You know, in in, in coaching in Baton Rouge, and, and not just coaching, everything that comes with it. A lot of po- a lot of politics, a lot of um, you know meeting mayors and, and, and shows and, and getting bigger time recruits and stuff like that that I think that he didn't have on that platform he had in Notre Dame is it, going to be a great addition to what he already can do. So, Greg, you won plenty of big games at LSU. What does Brian Kelly have to do to get LSU back to that championship level to make LSU be the program it can be once again? Well, first off, I think that he needs to hire a good coaching staff, especially for this first year. And I'll tell you why I think that. I think that, one, this is a different culture in Louisiana, South Louisiana, and LSU culture is a different culture. I think that he needs to work on recruiting in in, in a different culture, a different set of guys. So I think that first he needs to keep some coaches there that can maybe show him the culture of LSU. Um, But I I think, one, we need to recruit offensive and defensive lines. That's the that's the basis of it, and he is known for that very consistent offensive line there at Notre Dame. I remember we played them twice since you know in uh, my college days. You know I went against Quentin Nelson and some of them uh, guys that are still playing in the league. Um, and, and I think that because I actually read it, I saw an interview when he was talking about how you know there's some guys in the country, some of the top you know five star guys that he can't even talk to, can't even get a meeting with, you know because uh, got teams like LSU and Alabama. So. Now that he's in this position and he has the resources, I think that he can uh I think he'll do something big, man, honestly. And Greg, speak to that a little bit more. I mean, you being a North Carolina guy coming down to South Louisiana, people think it's just it's just football, but like you said, no, it's a full culture in Louisiana that you got to get adjusted to. Football is just what you was there for. What was your biggest, you know, adjustment coming from North Carolina down to South Louisiana when you were a player? Well, the biggest thing is the information, man. You know, I come from a small town in North Carolina where I didn't learn the best technique. I didn't learn about a lot of different concepts of defense. Then you go to places like Louisiana, places like Georgia, places like Texas, where they breed and they bleed football. Um, I, I think that's a different shot. That was the biggest thing for me. Uh, I, and just kind of connecting that bridge between understanding actual football and, un- and understanding how serious people take it here. Oh, and I think that he has those. He has that, man. I feel like he needs to definitely keep some coaches in the coaching staff. I know Coach Raymond is an OG, and he's a great recruiter. Me personally, I think, you know, one of my best friends, Christian Lockature, I think they need to bring him back because he was one of the top recruits in in all of LSU, you know, when he was there as a uh, grad assistant. I think that stuff like this, I I feel like, you know, just just kind of at at least until he gets his feet wet, and he understands the culture of LSU and, and, and big-time SEC football. Greg Gilmore here with us on 3 and Out, former star defensive lineman for the LSU Tigers. Of course, LSU hires Brian Kelly in from Notre Dame. You talked about that physicality because LSU every year, big-time offensive lineman, defensive lineman, for all that LSU does, and, you know, the star quarterbacks, receivers, defensive backs, obviously, how much of what the Tigers do starts right there in the trenches? Well, I think that every single year, man, LSU has the best skilled players in America. 
I mean, you, you, you got guys who, even this year, you see second and third string wide receivers coming out having big games. You see guys, you know, every, every skill position is full of guys. But when it comes to winning games in the SEC, it has to start up front. It has to. Because you're going to go, you know, I go against guys every single day, 350-pound guards and centers every single day, you know, every single week. There is no off weeks where you're playing guys who are good at outside zone schemes, man. You, you're going to go against Alabama. Then you're going to go against Arkansas, who runs the ball 50 times a game, you know. It, 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 you're going to go against Georgia, you know, like uh, who are going to run the ball 30, 30 times a game. So it, you need to start up front, in my opinion. And, Greg, I mean, uh, I know BJ keep mentioning you being a star D-line, but talk about that D-line tradition, you know, at LSU yourself, you know, Glenn Dorsey, you know, uh, Marcus Spears. You guys done put some guys out. And and I never, ever look at it as how long a guy played in the league. Y'all boys been putting them out for a long time, definitely on that D-line. Yeah, and I think it's all, it's, it, I think it's all another culture thing. You know, uh, we always have guys who are so dedicated to LSU, like myself, like, like Glenn, like um, – Guys like uh, Sam Montgomery, guys that come back, they come back, and they put that pressure on us. Hey, 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 listen, man, this is LSU football. This is the LSU defensive line. We take it very serious. So I feel like that a lot of pressure and a lot of pride, and you know, in a sense of I don't want to let my my past and my future defensive linemen down. And I think that's what pushes us to be always to put out guys, you know, always to put out that, that best talent. Greg, if you're on the team now, what do you want to hear from from Brian Kelly? Uh, first first meeting with him, first interaction. What are you looking to hear from your new head coach? Yeah, I want to I want to know exactly why he's taking this big of a job. I want to know his why. I want to know his 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 motivations because his motivations are going to motivate the team. You know, are we talking about you just want to come here and win ten games? Are you talking about going to a national championship? Are you talking about elevating the the mental and the physical level of each and every one of your players? Um, so I just want to know his why, you know, and I think that his why and his conviction and his motivation will carry the team as far as we want to go because he has the resources, he has the, 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 you know, everything that LSU has to offer, so. Glenn, obviously, uh, you know, a guy like Brian Kelly coming from Notre Dame, rich tradition, I mean, super, I mean, it goes way back with Lou Holtz and all, all the things they've done, but what is, going, what is going to be overwhelming or shocking to a Brian Kelly who knows about LSU, but this is what you didn't know about LSU that he's going to benefit from? I think it's the resources, man. I think it's the resource. I think it's the ability to um, recruit guys that he's never even had a chance to sit down with before. Guys who are five-star defensive linemen, guys who are five-star offensive linemen, guys who are five-stars at every every position, who want to go to LSU, who understand that Brian Kelly's going there, you know, and they're going to want to play for him. And I think that – and play for LSU. And I think that that culture right there, that, you know, that camaraderie, that ability to get any guy that you want in the country just because of off the name of the school is something that I don't think he's ever had. And I understand that Notre Dame is a great program. I understand that, but the resources are a little different in um, one of the best jobs, you know, in Louisiana. Great perspective from Greg Gilmore, former star defensive lineman for the LSU Tigers. Greg, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. And, Ben, I thought it was great to hear him talk about when I meet Coach Kelly, if I'm a player, I want to hear your motivation. I thought that was really insightful because I've always put myself kind of in the position, right, of trying to imagine, okay, I'm meeting my coach. What do I want to hear? It's not, here's my offensive philosophy. It's not, here's how I plan to recruit. It's, I don't even think it's, these are our goals. It's, what's your why? Why are you here? 
Why am I listening to you? I thought that was great from Greg. Yeah, Greg is keeping it great at keeping it 100, BJ, because he knows that, listen, LSU is a premier coaching destination. It's definitely a premier playing destination. And Brian Kelly, they, they want to know what makes them tick. We understand the money. We understand this is LSU. We understand this is the best, you know, this is the premier spot to be in the state of Louisiana, take nothing away from Louisiana, take nothing away from the, you know, from the Saints and Southern and Grand, take nothing away from those schools. When you think about it, BJ, you were at LSU. Every coach before, the, the last three coaches before, you all won national championships. That's the one thing you haven't done yet in your career. You were the all-time winningest coach in Notre Dame history, but you've you never been the last team standing. And I think what he said to me, he said, you got resources. When I am the biggest brand in the state, I can pick who I want in the state. But now I got access to the ones, to the Georgia, to the guys who Georgia recruiting, the Clemson recruiting, the Alabama recruiting. Can you go out there and snatch some of those guys? But at the same time, hey, man, the boot, they got a big-time coach of Brian Kelly, but Brian Kelly finna see what football was like in the deep south. Well, and you think about some of these coaches who will – either soon or they already have had their introductions, uh, what do you say, what's the approach, whether it's Billy Napier, whether it's Brian Kelly, whether it's Lincoln Riley, whoever, do you remember what Ron Zook said to you the first time y'all met? I, I do remember. Ron Zook was a very, very fiery guy. He, he came in real even kill, but he, he told us, he said, listen, fellas, he's, and I remember this, he says, this is my dream job. Some of you guys are here because you're good enough to be here, and if you don't want to be a part of the dream, I will get rid of you. He said, some of you guys will not be here because you're not going to fit what I'm trying to do. But I will give everybody an equal opportunity to show me what they, what they made of. And, and BJ, in a sense, that was the first time that, that, you know, like you said, just being 100% honest with me. He said, this is my dream job, meaning I've been a coach for a long time. He was on that 96 staff. I think he was a special teams coach on that 96 at Florida. Right. So he's been there before. And think about that, BJ. Every, every, every assistant coach, Wants to know how he measures up as a head coach. But not many guys will get a chance to coach a place like LSU and Georgia and Florida and Florida State. These are dream destinations. But I appreciate him just letting me know right now. And he said this, you're going to work. We are, gonna, we are going to work extremely hard, he said, from top to bottom. So whether if you work and you got that F on your chest, whether you're in a training room, whether a trainer, whether you're an equipment man, whether, whether you upstairs and administrative, we're going to work and be at the end of the day. Like I said, he, I became the player I became because of the coach he demanded of me. He was very, very demanding. And like I, it's not always going to be in the wins and the losses, BJ. That don't, that don't, that don't necessarily de decide how great of a coach you are to me. But he was a great coach, man, because he was demanding. He expected nothing but the best from you. And like I said, Urban Meyer in 2006 won with Ron Zook, guys. Every last guy on that squad got recruited by Ron Zook. But hopefully Brian Kelly comes in, BJ, understanding we know why you're here. Well, you know why you're here. Tell us why you're here and at the end of the day. Coach, man, are you trying to get us back to the top or you just want to be another coach in the SEC? He's going to he gonna have to make a huge impression with that first initial you know, uh, interaction with those players. It is championship weekend. Clearly, we'll get into Alabama, Georgia, Georgia, Alabama uh, moving forward. When we come back, however, the ACC championship game is going to be fun. You have two of the best offenses in the country, Pitt and Wake Forest. Dave Holcomb, Southern Pigskin, will join us to break that down next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. The ACC championship game this weekend is going to be a lot of fun, I think. You have two of the top ten offenses in all of college football with Pittsburgh and Wake Forest, a couple of really good quarterbacks, uh, uh, Kenny Pickett and Sam Hartman there. And with us now from southernpigskin.com has his preview up on the game, Dave Holcomb. Dave, good afternoon. How are you? Good, guys. How are you? Doing great. And I think at first glance, Dave, when I look at the, the offenses, when I look at the stats, when I look at the schedules and the final scores, 
Uh, this one's going to be more like a basketball game. Do you think we see a lot of fireworks and highlights Saturday in Charlotte? Yeah, I think so. Uh, two of the better quarterbacks in the league. Uh, two weeks ago, maybe a similar matchup with Kenny Pickett going up against uh, Brendan Armstrong, and Hartman has had a similar arm, uh, season to Armstrong in terms of the stats and uh, um, more team success, better offense around him at Wake Forest. So, but, but yeah, I, I see the matchup being similar with a lot of points being scored, and it's, it's going to be exciting. Dave, why is it all year long <clears throat> Wake Forest has been kind of waving the flag for the ACC kind of bit? Obviously, superseding expectation, but why no respect, you know, given to the Demon Deeks? It's not their fault that they've outplayed everybody and they're not Clemson, not North Carolina, you know, not Miami. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't think they've gotten enough respect. Um, the only thing I would say, uh, maybe why they haven't, I don't think this is the reason, but this could be a reason why, uh, is, is the defense is a subpar unit. You know, the 13th. In, uh, I believe they're 13th in overall defense in the ACC, 13th in, in run defense at least, um, 11th, sorry, 11th in, run, in total defense in the ACC, yards allowed. So that, that's a, uh, a leaky unit, and a lot of their games are high scoring. Um, they have to outscore people and, to, to win, and uh, they have a great offense, but uh, even in modern college football, uh, I think if you're going to be taken seriously, you do have to play some type of uh, – some type of defense. And Dave, talk about the season Kenny Pickett has had. I believe he's the first quarterback ever in the ACC with 4,000 passing yards, 40 passing touchdowns. Uh, You're talking about an ACC player of the year. You're talking about a guy who could finish pretty high in the Heisman Trophy voting. Just how special has Kenny Pickett been this season? It's been really special. I mean, people, I think, in in Pittsburgh have been starting to compare him to Dan Marino, and and that uh, I'm from Pittsburgh, so when you – start comparing guys to Dan Marino, I mean, that's pretty special. <laughs> Marino is, uh, you know, the class of uh, quarterbacks in, a, in an area, uh, Western Pennsylvania, where they've produced a lot of quarterbacks, either, you know, going to local colleges or just in high school. So Kenny Pickett is, is right up there this season, anyway, that he's put together has been really special, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what awards he can get this, uh, this postseason, what he does in, in, the bowl, in the bowl game and the ACC championship. And then I'm looking forward to you know, seeing where he goes in the NFL draft. Um, you know, the Steelers are going to be looking for a quarterback. Maybe he doesn't uh, play in a different stadium next year. How, how special do you think both of these teams, you know, have been this year, you know, from a standpoint of obviously they got two great quarterbacks. And do you, and do you see in this being more of, of the norm for the, for the ACC moving forward, or was it just an outlier type year? Um, that's a good question. I, I hope it's uh, more of the norm. Um, you know, quarterback play is what drives tickets and fans, and honestly it drives recruiting too. I mean, you want to – if you're – uh, a wide receiver, a top running back. You want to play on a good offense. You want to play with a great quarterback. So, um, if the ACC wants to be taken seriously as a league, uh, and and have their middle tier teams like you know Wake Forest or Pitt, if we want to call them that, um, be considered for um, you know top four rankings, college football playoffs, then uh, then yeah, I think they they have to hope that the quarterback play continues to be like it was this past season. It's it's gives the league name recognition, um, and, and it makes for the game really exciting games and matchups, just like this weekend's matchup. I wanted to ask you a philosophical question, Dave, about the ACC, where I think 
clearly, going back to the beginning of the season, most people thought, okay, you're going to have Clemson versus either North Carolina or Miami. And you have kind of the, yeah. the star power there. But at the same time, if the ACC is going to develop that depth where, like you said, like the Big Ten, like the SEC, quote-unquote second-tier teams are viewed with kind of a national appeal, don't you have to go through a process where then to that point it's not just Clemson and Miami or whoever, Virginia Tech, in the title game every year? That's really true. And, you know, in most sports, uh, parity is a good thing. Um, but it seems like in college football, it's not a good thing, at least if you're looking at each conference. You know, um, SEC, yeah, they've had, you know, Auburn rise up uh, a couple of times, and I'm probably forgetting a couple of, you know, Florida's risen up a couple of times maybe to, to go to the championship game. But it's been Georgia, it's been a lot of Alabama, um, and I think that's true with the Big Ten. It's almost always Ohio State is the first year it's not Ohio State. So uh, I, I like following ACC football because it's, yeah, it's been a lot of Clemson, of course, but after Clemson, it's, it is a lot of parody, and it's, a lot, and it's very interesting. And I don't think a league should be put down because it's competitive, just because maybe there isn't an, an elite, elite team. Um, this year, maybe there wasn't an elite, elite team in the ACC, but there were a lot of very good teams, and we're getting uh, a matchup that you know, I wrote about in my preview that, is historic not just because of the quarterbacks, but some school is going to win a championship for the first time in a really long time. Wake Forest, first time since 2006, and Pitt has never won a conference championship game. So that, to me, is is just as exciting as you know following a, a dynasty. I mean, I know you said it's not about the quarterbacks, but when you think about quarterback play in the ACC this year, I know we got the two headliners, you know, with Harmon and Pickett, but when you think about, you know, what kind of, you know, uh, what kind of hammer those those guys have done, you know, uh, at Louisville. You talk about Sam Howell, who I think he's yeah. right around 90 touchdowns for his career. I know people don't like the ACC, especially when the, you know, Clemson isn't doing well, but the quarterback playing the ACC this year, you got some guys that's going to be playing on Sunday. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, this has to be the best. I don't, maybe not ever, but the best of recent memory, I would say, a quarterback play in the ACC, and I agree with you. I think a lot of these guys are going to be drafted and, and are going to be successful in, uh, in the NFL. Um, you know, Daniel Jones, is, I guess, is the guy that comes to mind, has been drafted uh, lately out of the ACC. Deshaun Watson not playing in, in the NFL right now. Jones is struggling. Uh, I think uh, Pickett, Powell, um, Hartman maybe in a couple years. Uh, these guys are going to be that next, uh, I, I hope, they're the next uh, part of the next generation of quarterbacks in the NFL. Dave Holcomb, southernpigskin.com. Dave, you mentioned you have your preview up. Uh, what's your prediction? Give us a pick for this weekend, and what's going to be the one thing that determines who wins this game? I went with Pitt. Um, off the top of my head, I think I said it was going to be 51-48. I'm expecting a high-scoring game. Close. Um and I think Pitt's defense is just a little bit, a little bit better. That I think they're going to get a couple key stops and uh, be able to outscore Wake Forest just because I think their defense is a little bit better. Pitt plays better in the secondary. They can lock up. Usually, they can lock up man to man on on uh, opposing wide receivers, which will be a key matchup in this game because Wake Forest has the two uh, big. Re- the thousand yard receivers um, from the regular season, so I, I think as, as we can talk about quarterbacks a lot, but I, I think the defense, the, the the difference might be pitch defense. Dave Holcomb, SouthernPigskin.com. Dave, enjoy the game this weekend. Thanks so much. Thanks, you guys too. Enjoy.
And Ben, I think it's going to be a great game. I agree with Dave. I know. Listen, the headliner is the SEC championship game. We know that. Uh, you don't have top five, top ten implications here, but two great quarterbacks. And I do want to go back to this point because Kevin made this years ago, right? The ACC is in a situation where, and maybe it's less to the extent, obviously, with Florida State than it was a half decade ago. But so many people evaluate the ACC solely through what Clemson does, what Miami does, and then maybe North Carolina, FSU, and VT. And it's like anybody else is like, oh, my gosh. You know, any, uh, Wake Forest, Pitt, you know, Georgia Tech or uh, uh, Louisville, Boston College. And I think that's so unappreciative of the depth of the league. I mean, these are programs that have national awards candidates at quarterback, guys that are going to be drafted, big-time head coaches, and these are programs that play really good football. Wake Forest, uh, who, who, who Dave mentioned the wide receivers there, uh, Jakari Roberson and A.T. Perry, both have over 1,000 yards. They have two 1,000-yard receivers. Uh, you're talking about a, an, an offense that has been really talented. Kenneth Walker, the Heisman Trophy candidate at Michigan State, he was at Wake Forest last year with Sam Hartman, with these guys. Dave Kloss has done a great job. Kenny Pickett might be the number one overall pick in the draft. I've seen some mock drafts that have that. So, look, it's not the SEC championship game. It's really good football. I think it's going to be compelling. I like Dave's pick, 51-48. It's going to get wild. It's going to get weird. Check this game out. And if you don't know a ton about Pitt, Wake Forest, give these teams a chance on Saturday. I think they'll impress you. I will say this, BJ. I mean, uh, you know, Lewis Riddick, I said he did a special with, uh, with Kenny Pickett. I mean, I, I got another guy that went to Pitt. People talk about tradition-rich colleges. Oh. You don't want to start talking about Pitt. And for Kenny Pickett to even be in the same stratosphere. I mean, hold on a second, though, because people don't appreciate that either. They, Dan Marino, Tony Dorsett, you're talking about Larry Darrell, Fitzgerald, Darrell Revis, Aaron Donald. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the list, the list, when you start talking about not just some of the best in college, but some of the best to ever do it in the pros, and that's what Curtis I like. Martin. Yeah, BJ, that's what I like the most you know, about these two teams. It's you, you get it's so much built onto the game. They get to tell you about the tradition. They get to tell you about what you haven't seen. But look, BJ, I mean, the fact that you got two premier quarterbacks in this game, it should be high scoring. But Mr. Kenny Pickett, man, it's, it's going to be his time to shine, BJ, because sometimes, even though they won't be in, you know, in the running for the college football playoff, the world gets to watch these two these two great teams, two great quarterbacks on display. I think they're going to definitely put on a show. I like those Pitt uniforms too. With the they script, are nice. They are the nice. The script Pitt there <laughs> at the top. It's going to be fun. Championship weekend coming up. We're going to get into Georgia. Alabama. Alabama in just a little bit, but along those lines, there's a stunning development. We're going to get, may have to get some clarification on this moving forward, but Ben, this is just a story that's hard for me to process. SEC championship game, Saturday, ATL, number one, Georgia, number three, Alabama, about as big of a game as you can have outside of the national championship. Tickets going for, woo, good luck. If you're getting tickets, you're going to pay. Apparently, allegedly, and I'll try to get some further confirmation during the break, Christian got offered tickets by one of his buddies. Apparently, one of his buddies, Christian's from Atlanta, called and said, hey, man, I got an extra ticket to the SEC championship game. Now, as we know, Christian is Mr. UGA, lo loves the dogs. He said no. And I was taught, and okay, you're nodding as someone who doesn't watch your own team play, but I was talking to him very briefly earlier, and I don't know if you guys got into this, came on second down, but he said, you know, I, I can be at home. Apparently, Christian likes to watch games by himself where nobody can stress him out or add to the anxiety. He can, you know, pace or flip the channel or do whatever he needs to do. And if you're in Atlanta, 
I guess you have to travel and do all that, but if you're there, it's an environment where it's in your face. Maybe if you're superstitious, that impacts the outcome. I don't know. I don't know the reason, but Christian Gokel apparently turned down tickets to the SEC championship game. Your thoughts? Christian Gokel is a smart man because a real fan will not do anything that will jeopardize the, uh, the uh, future uh, success of the team. Christian has watched every game. Uh, from his couches, uh, from his home. In the okay, and they're, and they're undefeated. Yeah, okay. yeah, undefeated. No, 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 listen, listen. And the thing about Christian is Christian goes, look, listen. Christian said maybe when Christian is much older and, you know, he can go and enjoy the game without actually caring about the outcome, then maybe he'll take it. But as of right now, Christian's like, how dare you? Number one, whoever Christian's friend is knows better. Okay, but is there a counter in this regard? And I actually very much, unlike Kevin, appreciate that principle. I do think if what you're doing is working, you stick with that. But let's say Christian goes and Georgia loses. Still going to the playoff. So if there was ever a game to go to where you could possibly stomach the risk of you negatively impacting the outcome, but still appreciate. I mean, that's an all-time story. I mean, that's that's 30 years from now. You're telling people, yeah, I was at the 2021 SEC championship game. That's a lifetime experience. Could you could you handle it if you cause a little bit of negative energy to go against the dogs, knowing that if that happens, you still go to the playoff? No. No, BJ, because the thing about it is the reason why we love football is because of the th- because of the teams we love and the things we make up about the teams we love. If Christian goes to the game and Georgia loses, Christian's going to say, see? Because that's what it really is. You're watching the game for the game, but you're watching the game and say, what did I do? I don't usually eat this. I don't usually sit here. We make up more stuff about our team, win or lose, than anybody ever could. So Christian is saying, look, it w- I will say this, and this is how you know Christian is a former football player. If I'm not going to be the reason they win, I refuse to be the reason why they lose, okay, and I have nothing look, to do with it. I could bring this up. I don't know if you guys no, are here. No, I, no, no, I don't know if you guys no. are here. No, you don't even know what I'm going to say. Okay. I don't know if you guys are here for this today, but I think you could make an argument statistically and mathematically that if Georgia loses on Saturday, they're more likely to win the national championship. So, so, and how, hold on. And how hold on. How quick are you tell me that they lose? Well, they just, well, no, that's what I'm saying. Because you know each game you win in a row yeah. makes it more likely the loss is coming. Like, like, like. What 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 and what game was it? What game number was it when uh, Alabama finally lost it to AM? Was it twenty? Was it twenty one? Right, like they won like twenty two, yes. twenty three in a row. The more you win in a row, the more likely it means you're going to lose your next one. You go ahead and reset the win loss equilibrium. You move the odds back in your favor, and you don't suffer by dropping out of the playoff. It might be like the best case scenario for Georgia to lose on Saturday. Hit the reset button on the odds, and then go back to the drawing board real quick. Have some time to address it. And go win a national championship. Is that the greatest story of all time, BJ? The key to Georgia winning a national championship was to finally be undefeated, go lose. Because, like you said, the key to winning everything is losing. Cam, in the NCAA basketball tournament, you don't want to win seven in a row going into the dance. You want to lose. Yes, you want to lose your second to last game of the regular season, reset the numbers, then get in, then get hot. So, the whole thing about it is not only is it the key, the key to winning is losing. If you lose Alabama, are you almost guaranteed a win in the national championship? Well, I guess the, the counter to that counter would be if you lose to Alabama, you might have to play them again, Jesus. and you don't want that. This is a lot to think about. <laughs> this is a lot to process. All right, we'll come back. We're going to have Troop Talk coming up in hour two. Adam Schuler, former Gator defensive lineman, uh, talking to defensive line, real football players on the show. I'm saying like defensive linemen, guys who tackle yes. people. Talking with those guys on the show. We'll chat with him. Glad to have you with us. It is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We are streaming live on the web, ESPNCoastal.com. Ben Troop, 
It's Wednesday, so Troop Talk coming up in about a half hour. Former Florida Gator defensive tackle Adam Schuler uh, will sit down with Ben for a conversation. We'll also preview the SEC championship game as we move forward. And Ben, I think this is a very fair question to ask. I do. Um, are we overlooking Alabama? Is Alabama maybe a little underrated entering Saturday? Now, it's fascinating to phrase it like that. That sounds nuts. But we'll get into that. I think it's a fair question. Also, I want to talk about the psychology of this matchup. A lot of interesting storylines at play, but it is time for Take 3. We bring in Cam Urshry as we Take 3 here on 3 and Out. All right, Take 3, fellas. Take 1, which NFL quarterback would you rather have for the rest of the season? Kyler Murray or Dak Prescott? Ooh, okay. Take it. I'm going to jump out there first. I'm going to jump out there first. I, to, the, to the Dallas Cowboy fans, and that, which is the biggest fan base in in America? Didn't you have a Cowboys fan come up like last? We did a remote in Savannah recently, and came yeah. up and yeah, had like, an issue with you. Yeah, yeah, which which is fine. I understand. I mean, because I listen. At the end of the day, Dallas is gonna find a way to mess it up. But that's another that's another show for another day. Uh, I'm gonna go with Kyler Murray, and this is why. PJ Dak Prescott. I mean, he's a bad boy. He's under a, he's under a different level of scrutiny because of where he plays. Not just that he plays, and while Dak Prescott, while, while the defense has played better as of late, I mean, Dak is having to be doing more. I mean, the running game really hasn't been there. But for me, I like Kyler Murray, man. Kyler Murray is a guy that flat out gets it done. He and he got wheels. PJ, you know he's gonna he know he's gonna make some plays with his legs, but he's always looking to get the ball downfield. I think they have the best record right now in the NFC. I know he's been uh, banged up a little bit, but you know he's got he's, he's he's got about two or three weeks to kind of get them reg, them legs rested up. But for me, give me Kyler Murray and that offense. Even though I do like that, give me Kyler Murray. I'm going to take Dak. I think there's a little more experience there, and I agree with all that you're saying about Kyler Murray. He's a superstar. But if, if, if I have a stretch run to go through, I want the guy with a little more experience, and I do think that Kyler Murray has has better weapons around him. I think Dak, Dak Prescott has been able to find that proficiency without necessarily those, those, those multiple superstars to throw the ball to. So love both guys. Love both guys. But I will, I will lean Dak Prescott, I think, predominantly because of the experience here. Uh, I definitely go Kyler Murray. And the reason why I say that is I think there's a stat out there, out there when Dak Prescott doesn't have Ezekiel Elliott rush for 100 yards. He's like 0-17, and 0-16. I want to say there's a stat out there. You could tell me if I'm wrong. But, I mean, Kyler Murray, what, he's in year three and he's lighting up the league. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. AJ Green, all those type of guys, and they're the best team in the NFL. Maybe them or the Packers, but I definitely go Kyler Murray. Take two, Mac Jones or Tua Tungavailoa. All right, hold Tua's, on. Tua has been better. Tua has uh, been on. better. Now, I will say this: Tua has, as of late, Tua has been looking around, saying, "Y'all boys don't think I can go out here and get it done. Y'all think I'm injury prone. Y'all think I'm not good enough to go out here and compete in the National Football League for my football team." Well, go back to last week. Tua, he looked at Cam and said, Cam, man, grew up watching you, but let me show you why I'm here, too. But for all those reasons, I'm going with Mac Daddy. I'm going with Mac Jones. Mac Jones been doing it from opening day. Mac Jones is the reason why, you know, Cam Newton, who's back with Carolina, didn't have a job. Mac Jones is getting it done, BJ, with them two tight ends, Hunter and Jonu Smith. Mac Jones is taking this complicated offense of Josh McDaniels and made it, made it him, you know, made it his own. Give me Mac Jones, and I will say this, BJ, Mac, Tua, and Jaden Hurst, they was all in the same. Uh, they was all in the same uh, quarterback room. Have they dispelled that myth that 
Alabama quarterbacks can't make it in the league. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, <laughs> all of those guys are studs. I will go Mac. I think I think Tua still needs to show that week to week consistency. If I'm gonna have him be my guy for the stretch run, now Mac doesn't have any experience. This is newfound territory for him. I mean, Tua's only got a few more games on his resume than Mac, but I think Mac has just that 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 proficiency that's always there. Last year set the new FBS single season proficiency mark. This year he's maintained it. A little higher completion percentage than Tua. So because of that, I will go Mac Jones. Uh, Tua has, what, four games more than Mac Jones? Four games more play? I'll just give y'all – I want y'all to see this real quick. Everybody praises Kyler Murray. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? You got a direct head-to-head. It, yeah. uh, Everybody play, praises Kyler Murray. Tua in his first 16 games is better than Kyler Murray in his first 16 games. Kyler Murray won Offensive Rookie of the Year his first year. Everybody hates Tua for some odd reason. But with that being said, I still take okay. Matt Jones. Though. <laughs> I still take Matt Jones. Even though I think it's a lot closer. I mean, Matt Jones, man, he reminds me of Matt Ryan in a okay. Patriots system. I mean, it's set for him perfectly. He's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL right now. He's smart and, man... Patriots are not going nowhere for the next what decade, decade and a half. He can stay healthy. He can stay healthy. Yeah, if he can stay healthy, yeah. Because you know, because you know, Obio gonna be there for the next ten years. No matter how old he gets, he's gonna keep coaching. Oh yeah, he's gonna keep coaching now. But this is my favorite one right here. Take three. <laughs> Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? This is the one. All right, this is the one where BJ did this. He was like, okay, he was rubbing his hands together. It, usually, I would not go against OAA Ron. I usually wouldn't go against OAA Ron because when it comes to throwing that football in, you know, uh, BJ and they gave him and they gave him that man with the green eyes, Randall Cobb, to go along, you know. Uh, but but for me, you know, with Adams and those guys, but for me, BJ, the reason why I would go with Tom Brady is Tom Brady is his best when he is doubted. Tom Brady is his best when he goes up against the best. This time last year in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady looked across that field and said. You think Patrick Holmes is going to take my crown? I'm still on this throne. You know, he'll get to sit here when I get up, and right now I'm still here. And I did it on a bum knee last year. So for me, love Aaron Rodgers. I think he is one of the greatest first battle Hall of Famer. But the GOAT, and that's the GOAT, that's G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time, or G-O-T-E, the greatest of the era, that he's both of them. I'm going to go with Tom Terrific. I think you have to. I mean, I know you can look at uh, – okay, I know you can look at Aaron Rodgers <laughs> and say Aaron Rodgers is in his prime. Yes. Aaron Rodgers is balling. Green Bay's great. But we're talking about you have, what, four or five games to go. You get one quarterback. Dude, Tom Brady's older than Kevin. I mean, that's amazing to think about. And he's out there, and I think in a, in a, in a clutch stretch – uh, for a three, four game period, the playoffs, the Super Bowl, that's still at what, 44 years old? The guy you want. And I don't really think there's any hesitation or doubt. Got mad respect for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, look at what he does. And, and Ben, like you said, maybe the best pure thrower of the ball in terms of accuracy we've ever seen. But when it's crunch time in the league, it's about, it's about, it's about that persona. It's about the confidence that not only Brady has, but the confidence he gives everybody else. I think it's Brady. Brady's the greatest player of all time. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback of all time. And this this let me know how good Aaron Rodgers was in a down year. He had 25 touchdowns and two picks. Ran, they ran, called, ran, ran, ran yeah, they called that a down year. 25 touchdowns, two picks. Just, just to give some facts, this week they beat the Rams, who have, what, a top 10 defense? Yep. He had three misses, all offensive linemen. Didn't have Aaron Jones and missed three of his best defensive players. And was playing on the broken toe. Went out there 300 yards, three touchdowns. I think he's the best quarterback in the league. 
I'm gonna say it. They got the best record. Aaron Rodgers is my favorite player ever too. So that's that I'm has a nothing biased. to do with this. Yeah, no, I'm no, a little that biased. Has nothing to do. <laughs> I'm a little biased. I'm a little biased. But man, he does some amazing things, and he doesn't turn over the ball. That's my biggest thing. When you don't turn over the ball, it's hard to lose games. This defense is just hasn't came through for him. I mean, well, oh, and one thing you didn't know, but to confirm, uh, you're taking you're taking yeah, oh, Aaron no, Rodgers. I take Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Oh yeah, any but, day of the week. And, and, and I always know that one. Listen, your two things about Green Bay that we, we learned today. One, we learned that your favorite player of your all time, uh, Cam, is um is old A. Ray Ron and BJ's favorite tight end of all time, Mercedes Lewis. Who plays for Green Bay? That's Jaguars legend. Jaguars yeah. legend okay. is BJ's favorite Titan of all Did time. Did he have a so one-handed you... touchdown catch a couple of hey, BJ, listen, listen. Yeah, listen. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Mercedes Lewis. Get it done in year 17. UCLA, what, a first-round pick? He was the first-round pick that year. Amari second-round pick. But shout out to Mercedes Lewis, man. 17 years in the league, man. Get it done, man. Hopefully hopefully he's trying to get that cover. I think he's the first, first-round pick Aaron Rodgers ever threw a touchdown to. In all these years, he's the only first-round pick he's thrown a touchdown to. Man, That's crazy. Because Jimmy Graham and Donald Driver and yep. you know, De- Devontae, well, Devontae Adams was a second-round pick? Yep. He's never thrown Prime to a first-round pick. He's the only Fresno one. State, right? Yep. Think, yeah. He's the only one. All right, man. All these other quarterbacks, they've had plenty of first-round picks. He doesn't have a Don't, lot of weapons. Hold on, hold on. Like doesn't does it, uh, does it Green Bay have a, have a receiver in the first name, Geronimo, something like that? Geronimo? Ge- no, no. That was um, a few years. I know they have uh, Valdez Scantlin. Yeah, and NC State. I know where guys went to college, man. Oh, oh, you're talking about Valdez Scantling? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't know where he went. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Hey, hey, listen, hey, hey, Ron. He, and he Lazard. Might, Lazard. Hey, so, so the boat versus the goat, you're going to go with the boat, the best of all yeah, time. Yeah, I go with the all boat, right. man. All right. I go there is the a boat. difference. There is a difference. Yes, yes. Best and greatest. All right, Cam, <laughs> thanks. That'll do it for take three. We'll come back with more three and out. on. Back here with you, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. And I think the question as we look at the college football playoff poll from last night, is what happens if Oklahoma State wins? They're five, Cincinnati's four. If they win the Big 12 championship, Cincinnati wins, beats Houston. Does Oklahoma State hop Cincinnati, Ben? I wanted to get your thoughts on that quickly. No, but I mean, what if – no, but I understand what you're saying. But if Oklahoma State wins, they have the higher-ranked win in championship week. What happens? Who's the number four team? Ben, go ahead. Oh. My apologies. No. See, so Hello? you you you're gonna block me to keep me from. It's called a box in? out. I mean, look, it's 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 it's, it's rebound. I have to go Torian Prince on it. It's a rebound. You know it's gonna be Oklahoma State. You know, BJ, at the end of the day, it's gonna come down to national, national appeal. Now, BJ. You've been riding the wave for the Cincinnati group. I mean, since all it was Cincinnati and Coastal last year. If Cincinnati gets jumped by a team, not because the team is better than them, but Cincinnati don't have that national appeal, who do you think it's going to be? Well, I think there's a lot to think about, and and I was trying to rush through it because I wanted to get you know get two quick questions in there for you. But right now, after last night, it's Georgia one, obviously two, the new playoff rankings: Michigan, uh, Georgia one, Michigan two, Alabama three, Cincinnati four, Oklahoma State five. Notre Dame 6, Ohio State 7, Ole Miss 8, Baylor 9. I know you mentioned maybe a scenario, Cam, earlier in the week where, where Baylor could jump up there. But I think what you're looking at, if, if, if Georgia and Michigan win, Georgia against Alabama, Michigan uh, against Iowa, that, that's your 1-2, clearly, quite clearly. And then Alabama will drop out, we presume. And I think if Cincinnati 
and Oklahoma State were to win, given that they both have games this Saturday, Notre Dame does not, and Cincinnati and Oklahoma State are both playing ranked teams, they would just slide in, and it would be Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. That would be my guess. Now, where it gets interesting is what happens if Alabama beats Georgia and now you have an Oklahoma State team, if they and Cincinnati both win, an Oklahoma State team that just beat number 9 Baylor in the conference title game, avenged their only loss from the regular season, and then you have Cincinnati who is ahead right now, but Oklahoma State would be adding a win over a top 10 team. Cincinnati would be adding a win over number 24 Houston. As much as it would hurt, I think a lot of us, I think there's a big part of a lot of us that wants to see Cincinnati get in. The system has boxed people out at the G5 level. Uh, we probably have not valued the resumes enough. But if you say Oklahoma State will have won a Power 5 conference, their only loss during the regular season was to Baylor. And in this scenario, they beat Baylor, who's in the top ten, which will be which will be what Georgia did when they went to the national championship year when they beat when they beat. Uh, that's when exactly they beat right. I, I I think at first glance, and to be fair, I do not have both resumes in front of me, but I think at first glance, it would probably make sense if that were to happen for Oklahoma State to to be the four. Think about this, about with Cincinnati too, though, BJ. We always talk about if 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 you know uh, Georgia loses. If Alabama loses to Georgia by a field goal, does Alabama still get in? Does Cincinnati has to look impressive winning? Because you know most teams just got to win. Remember yesterday we were talking about how Alabama gets criticized by how they win, and if they only lost once, does Cincinnati got to look impressive in their win? Maybe, maybe. I don't know how you let's, – let's say for sake of argument this happens. And, again, Oklahoma State plays Baylor, who's number nine or whatever it is. Uh, Cincinnati plays Houston, who's number 24. So they're both top 25 games. What if, let's say, Oklahoma State wins by three and Cincinnati wins by 40? How do you compare a three-point win over a top-10 team versus a 40-point win over a top-25 team? This may be off-base. Tweet at us at Pigskin Radio. Generically speaking, okay, if I'm going to vote on the playoff committee and poll, I'm going to look at every possible data point. I'm going to watch every game. But just speaking theoretically, I'm normally not a big fan of margin of victory. And the reason is because, and everybody listening knows this, we all know this, you can win a game by 17 points and dominate and absolutely control the game. You don't have to beat somebody by 24, 31, 38 to dominate or resoundly prove that you're better. And in some ways, I know there are exceptions to this, but in some ways to me all margin of victory does is prove desire. You wanted to run the score up. You wanted to win by 28. You wanted to win by 35. Once you're beating someone, I mean, if you're beating a team at the end of the fourth quarter by 28 or 42, you're clearly much better than them. I think a lot of times that 14-point margin comes down to, did you stay aggressive with your play calling? Did you keep your starters in? And I don't think those are the things that should determine who plays for a national and, and championship. And most of the time, you're gonna, if you're up by that many, that, that many points, you're going to run the football to speed the, the Yeah, speed yeah. I mean, I, so margin of victory, once you establish that you are clearly the better team, to me, all an extra touchdown or two or three proves is that you wanted to score those more points or, or those extra points. So I'm not a huge fan of that. Now, I think Cincinnati can come out and flex and dominate and prove that they are one of the best teams in college football by winning 27 to 6. It doesn't have to be 57 to 6, but I do think there's a part of our psyche that when we see that lopsided margin, we go, oh, wow, that's, that's an A. I don't think we should think that way, but I think to a certain extent we do. 
PJ, I mean, with everything we always talk about with the college football potentially, I mean, expansion uh, with the college football playoff, do you think right now this model of four is actually proving itself to be right in this scenario? That's an interesting question because I don't know that we should use if the system works in whatever our minds that means year to year as the determining factor for if it's right or not. Uh, because I know a lot of people have said, oh, if you had an eight or a 12-team playoff, you might not have great teams get in the postseason tournament, right? If we had a 12-team playoff, you'd probably have – Probably have Baylor in there, even if they lose. Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss. You might uh, potentially. Ohio State. Maybe a BYU could make an argument. Right. Ohio State would definitely be in. But to me, the goal, and a lot of people may disagree here, the goal of a college football playoff format is not to have the best possible matchups, the most exciting games, the most compelling teams, or even have the, quote, great teams only get in. What the postseason format should do is represent the body of constituents that it serves. And right now, you have five Power Five conferences and four slots, not to mention the group of five and the independents. So if you were to ask me, would it be more compelling football to see uh, BYU play Ole Miss? Maybe, maybe not, but I don't know that that's the right question. We're not supposed to be asking what a 12-team or 18-team playoff provide better football, we're supposed to be asking would an 8-team or 12-team playoff be more fair and equitable and representative of the teams that are allegedly Division One FBS? Well, it, it, goes back to, it goes back to the old notion of you go to the NCAA tournament, which to me is the greatest representation of college athletics. We talk about Everybody's got a shot. Absolutely. And, and like you said, BJ, I said, look, if eight teams get in, it's 130, if I'm not mistaken, Division One team. FBS, FBS, yes. Right? You telling me out of 130 eligible, quote, you know, teams to make the playoffs, only four? It's five, you know, our P5 conferences. So I do, I do look at it that way because at the end of the day, look, the one thing we gonna respect is if you're the last team standing. We do sometimes get caught up in records at the end of the day when I'm like, dude, just because you lost don't mean you weren't the best team in the country that year. And just because you were undefeated don't mean you were the best team in the country that year. Now, undefeated seasons are very, very hard to come by. But I think if we are looking at the full body of work, most people consider Muhammad Ali the greatest boxer of all time. He lost. But still people can still consider him because of just because you lose don't mean you ain't great. So I do believe that adding more teams is more of a trooper around to BJ because like we said, Cincinnati is hopefully trying to do it for a different reason. We waving the flag for, you know, conferences that look that's looked down upon. And maybe, you know, and maybe and maybe UCF was just ahead of their time. Because you know who was ahead of them? Boise State. They used to be that team. Back in there. So I do think going to an expansion is going to be the right, the right thing to do first because more variety means more teams get a chance to get in. And if you got more teams to get a chance to get in, the right team, I think, going to win it because they're going to be the last team. If you was in it, you get a chance to win it. But if you was not, you know, you, you definitely have your reasons to complain, especially when your body of work is warranted for you even getting an opportunity. And the system we have now forces us, right, to compare, let's say, a one-loss Oklahoma State, potentially, to, a, to an undefeated Cincinnati. But I'll ask this question, and, 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 and I'll ask it even more prominently than maybe we asked it a year ago or asked it with UCF. If Cincinnati goes undefeated and doesn't get into the playoff, and maybe under this system that's the way it works out, maybe that's the right call even. I don't know. We haven't seen what's going to happen yet on Saturday. What do you say to them? Cincinnati, you were a preseason top 10 team. You went undefeated. You beat a top 10 team on the road by, by double digits. Everybody said you needed to schedule P5 opponents. You, you scheduled a Big Ten opponent. You beat a nationally ranked team 
in your conference championship game. What more can you do? Like, what? why are you Division I FBS? If you can beat a top 10 Notre Dame on the road, if you can win your conference title game over a ranked opponent, why are you FBS? There's nothing you can do to compete for a championship. And I don't know that that scenario is going to arise. It wouldn't surprise me. But I think that's why when we talk about playoff expansion, the right question isn't, would it be better football? The right question is, would it be better would it be a better format serving the teams that are in it? Because Cincinnati, there's a great chance, if things fall this way, that they can win every game on their schedule, beat a top-10 team, have one of the best wins in the country, and not even have a mathematical chance to compete for a title in the division they're affiliated with. That is why we need to expand the playoff, not because we may or may not see better games. And we need to stop moving the goalposts. When people start talking about BJ, is, it, is that going to be better football? I think the answer is yes. Because – you don't get to decide if it's not going to be better football strictly because you haven't seen a team that wants to play in it. No, a team that's earned the right to play in it. Because these two coaches, the Lincoln Rileys and the Brian Kellys, who just got $220 million to go to their prospective schools, they haven't wanted the playoffs. No one said anything to them. Oh, because they came from Oklahoma and Notre Dame. They're over in the playoffs. So what I'm going to say is, would it be better football? Yes. Because what happens is when you're a team that's been, that's been really, really good for so long, but the NCAA don't like you, this same Cincinnati team played Georgetown to the wire last year. And when people say, well, Georgia ain't have all their best players. That's an excuse you make when Georgia don't win. I say this, you cannot want to be there and still win it because Georgia had already seen this when they lost to Texas. They wasn't going to do that twice. So if Cincinnati's in, is it going to be better football? It might be better than you thought. And Cincinnati might just come out on top. I don't think they don't put them in, BJ, because they don't think they're good enough. I think they know they are, and if we put them in, and they beat and they win, we lose our argument. Oh, if I'm Georgia, I'm I'm I'm, I'm terrified of Cincinnati. <laughs> Why? I don't know because I watched football last year. There are two teams. There are two teams left. BJ, think about it. Cincinnati, who saw you last year, and the bully, who you got to beat on Saturday. I always say this: if you win the national championship, there were some bumps in the road. There isn't going to be a bigger bump in the road in Alabama, and there isn't a scarier team because of their resume than Cincinnati. It's going to be a great championship weekend. We're going to dive into Georgia, Alabama in just a little bit. When we come back, though, Troop Talk, always enjoy that. Been with Adam Schuler, former Gators defensive lineman. We'll do that next, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Tomorrow we will be broadcasting live from Coach's Corner, second down and three and out uh, in Savannah and Thunderbolt. Hope to see you. Come on by. We will have interviews with... Tomorrow afternoon, Kennesaw State head coach Brian Bohannon, Valdosta State head coach Gary Goff, and both of those programs in the playoffs. Uh, you think about Kennesaw State, the job they've done. They're into the second round after a win in the opening round of the FCS playoffs. They will take on East Tennessee State. The Owls. Who? The Owls. Who? Yeah, it, that's the new rule. <laughs> the new rule on the show. Yeah, was like, it doesn't matter who says If somebody says the Owls, you have to say who. Who? Yeah, every time. So Kennesaw State, East Tennessee State, uh, second round of the FCS playoffs, and then Valdosta State. If Kevin was here, he'd be hyping it up. Uh, I, will, I will say this. Uh, was, it, was, it, was it West Georgia? One of the West Georgia coaches come in one time. Out, a couple years ago. Uh, you know, West Georgia coach Cam come in one day. He all hype. He's, he's here recruiting the area. Yeah, came and, in to say hello. Yeah. And Kevin got this look on his face like, the enemy is in the building. Because Kevin is, you know, Kevin is, you know, Valdosta State, blazing through and through, and he gave us all hats. And we, me and BJ put them on saying, you know, Kevin just holding the hat, being courteous. And the dude walk off, Kevin's like, not wearing it. 
And, and to me, that's how strong a rivalry is. I believe is. Valdosta State beat West Georgia last weekend okay. to advance. Yeah, yeah, dropped sixty, dropped almost 60. seventy on them. So good timing with the story. Though. Hey man, well, BJ, listen, I remember that story. I, I just remember I'm like, why is Kevin looking at him like? Kevin's like, I got to make sure I keep. Oh, my Kevin doesn't play when it when it comes to Valdosta <laughs> State. I mean, I'm serious. And Valdosta State this weekend, they are they are into the quarterfinals of the NCAA Division II playoffs. You win Saturday, you're into the Final Four, and they will take on Bowie State. Valdosta State, the one seed out of their out of their bracket. Bowie State, the two seed. So that should be a lot of fun. Title, title and, town. Yep, and we will hear from Brian Bohannon of Kennesaw State and Gary Goff of Valdosta State tomorrow on the show as the Owls Who? and the Blazers compete for a do the national championship. Kind of, do, do, do the Blazers got something they do? Do Kevin have I mean, we'll have to ask him I mean, tomorrow. Kevin, Kevin had to, quote, pick a name, you know, for his uh, video games. He could pick KT Blazer. How, yeah. how original yes, is that? Yes, he did. I'm sure he appreciates you talking about that on the air no, as well. no, All I'm saying is, uh, Cam, before you was on the show, uh, you know, BJ used to say, uh, what do you ask about Dungeons and Dragons? No, <laughs> they used to play, like, the Dungeons and Dragons. Like, uh, what? I don't know what the games no, are. No, no, no. When you asked him, do we play? So, Kevin, what you doing? Open up playing with Dungeons and Dragons? And Kevin was like, yes. I was like, you a gr- Oh, my God. That, that's... That's another life. That's, that seems like. I know, Cam uh, likes the games. Cam, listen, Cam was also born in '98. I like video. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, like, that is well. I mean, if we're going back into this from yesterday, what year was Kevin born in? Kevin was Kevin was born in '78. So, so think about it. Cam was born. So Kevin was born twenty. If he's God, listening, if he's Kevin, listening right whoa, now, Kevin, Kevin, I'm sorry. Kevin was Kevin was born. <laughs> 20 years before Cam. God. Well, well yeah. And then, no, 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 no. This would this really, really make me feel old. You know, no, the game that, no, no, the game that everybody played, and, and I, we'll just go down this path. You took us down this yep. path. Was Remember for a couple of, what was it, like a couple of months where everybody was playing Pokemon Go, and, like, they would come in here? Like, people would just be randomly on their phone, like, walking into the foyer. Or, I mean, we, we have we have fans. My, uh... My child made me feel real good, uh, you know, during Thanksgiving holidays, BJ, because she was playing Tecmo Bowl on her phone, and she, quote, told me, Daddy, you don't know nothing about this. I said, no, young lady. That's where it all started. And I'm looking at them graphics, and I'm like, wow. No, no, no. This is the the ultimate reality check moment I have with my kids. So my kids have a game they play on, I guess it's a tablet, where literally this is the game. It's like a cartoon game. The game is you wash dishes. So you walk up, and the game is like you get the soap, you squirt the soap on the plate, and you clean it, and then you put it in the dishwasher if you need to, and it comes out, and it gets like, oh, you got an 8 or a 10 on the cleanliness score. And I'm thinking, they're sitting in the kitchen with real dirty dishes in the real sink, washing fake dirty dishes in the fake sink on the video game. And and at that point, I had to look at both of them and just say, Nope, 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 that's not even it. Y'all win. Nope, my, my, my son... Both of my nephews, maybe maybe all of my nephews, I don't know if my oldest nephew Christian is doing it, they watch someone else play the video game. That's, that's, that's what they do. They that's go, stunning. They, they, go to, they go to YouTube, and, they, and, I, and, I, and they'll sit there for hours going, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, well, and, and then, and then, but then I'll go. You watch other people play video games? And, and, on. and then when I go, what are y'all doing? They say, do you know who that is? That's Ninja. That's so-and-so. He, 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 the, man, he the man. I'm like, he's on level. And I'm like. So you don't want to play it yourself. No, I'm gonna go play it later. But right now, I'm trying to tell you. This. And, and so, BJ, at least we actually, if we weren't on the game, it's because it was only one. All right, controller. real quick. Favorite video game growing up? Contra. You know what that is, Cam? Super Mario Brothers Two. 
And where you could like, where you could like pull the vegetables yes. out of the ground. And, and listen, listen. And, oh, is that three? And Daytona 500 on Sega, on uh, on Sega Saturday. You come in that thing. Uh, uh, I'm just saying, Cam. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get Cam. We're gonna take you over here to one of these stores. That stuff that look like you know vintage items. That's what me and BJ used to play. The old school Madden, where you would drop back to pass like Madden Super 94. Super Nintendo Sega Genesis. And the three and the three frames would pop up, and you could look at your receivers. That was wild. Our first Madden was the one with Dick on the cover. <laughs> you know what? I want to say. <laughs> Kevin's first Madden had Tony Dorsett on the no, cover. No, 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 no. Kevin's first Madden, John Madden, was on the cover saying, you know, tough African to Nacton. But, you know, it's There was a game on Sega called College Football's National Championships, and I loved it because, well, I mean, Florida State was that deal. I'm saying it was, it was, it was mid-'90s, but when you would get ready to make a play, it would zoom in with, like, the limited technology it had. If my brother's listening, he knows. You could hit the spin move, the juke, whatever, but it would zoom in. So Charlie Ward could, I mean, I'm just saying, just Charlie. We know Thomasville, Georgia. I mean, was he not? He was. He was nice, innovator. I mean, is he not one of the all-time? He is top top five, top five greatest, maybe even best of all. Shout out be to the most. '90s quarterback, Tommy Frazier, Danny Werfel. Put some respect, Charlie Ward, on them boys' names. I will right, come back. A lot to get to in the final hour. We're going to talk Georgia and Alabama. Should be a lot of fun. Tweet at us at Pigskin Radio. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network and on the web ESPNCoastal.com. Ben Troop should have Kevin Thomas back with us tomorrow. Really want to dive into this Alabama-Georgia, Georgia-Alabama matchup. I think the psychology of this pairing, Ben, is really interesting. And we'll get into something we've talked about briefly throughout the show. Are we, are we overlooking Alabama a little bit? You said something, kind of the way you said it yesterday, Ben, stuck with me when we were talking about this game. And you said, Alabama's lost one game. By three points. And there's there's this kind of prevailing thought that they are an overwhelming underdog on Saturday. I think the line is around seven, six and a half. And I've heard some people say, well, this, this, and this has to happen for Alabama to have a chance. Is that true? We'll get into that. But news of the day, uh, if you haven't heard by now, Savannah State head football coach Sean Quinn has resigned uh, as the head football coach of the Tigers. Uh, we'll get to what may be happening momentarily, but had a tremendous run at Savannah State and came on in February of 18 as the defensive coordinator was then later that year named the interim and you think about some of the uh, successes uh, you think about some of the successes posted a seven and three overall record in 2019 went five and0 uh, in Savannah State's first season of competition back in the SEAC and then after the covid year this past year 2021 uh, eight and two five and one in the SEAC. The Tigers had their first eight-win season since 1994, and I know a guy that made a big impact on the program, on the field, off the field, in the community. We all really enjoyed getting to chat with him and visit him and uh, uh, visit with him, get to get to know him. And uh, Christian did a great job, of course, every week with the Sean Quinn Show. I know, Ben, you chatted with the team on a number of different occasions, but we absolutely wish Sean Quinn the best. And, uh, man, did a great job at Savannah State. He did an incredible job. Sean Quinn more than did, uh, more than lived up to the expectations, superseded expectations. Uh, faced a lot of adversity from the time from the time he got, uh, you know, uh, decided to be the head coach at Savannah State. BJ, he, he got there when they was going through a transition. Um, he understood, uh, you know, just how much behind the eight ball they were as far as like a faci- facilities and, you know, resources and alumni and boosters and so on and so forth. But the one thing Sean Quinn did, he never he never complained. He never ever talked bad about anybody. He had an incredible staff around him. He had incredible players around him. In 2020, they did not have a football season. And those kids just stayed the course. Something I said uh, first, I had a young man on his team that was diagnosed with cancer. 
And the young man had two questions. One, he asked the doctor, am I going to live? The doctor said yes. And two, he asked Coach Sean Quinn, am I still going to have a scholarship? I think, BJ, he led the team when they did the Tiger Walk when they had the spring game for which we was up there calling plays. Me, you, Christian, Christian Gokel, as well as Kevin Thomas. I think the thing about, um, about Sean Quinn that can't be said enough is he's a good dude. Bigger than just being a football coach, you know, he's a human being. He cares about those young men. He cares about the Savannah community. He cares about Southeast Georgia. He cares about Savannah State, but he cares about those young men. So he, he more than supersedes expectation, and he did it the right way. I think too often the times when you come in behind the eight ball like he did, you're going to find himself doing more criticism. You never heard him say a word. He never talked bad about the university or anybody around him. It was all about let's get out there and recruit. P.J., one time we he, – he, he blessed us so many times on our show on second down. Oh, on man, during the pandemic was coming on every week. I mean, we would – Whether he's in his car – Yeah, cool we would send him a text and say, Coach, we need you to come on and uh, talk about the Bulls 30 for 30. He'd come on, give us 15 minutes. Uh, always appreciated his availability and, and just enjoyed getting to know him. But uh, I, just – Incredible to think about the success he's had throughout his coaching career, and I don't know if this has been independently, uh, you know, confirmed from the school or from coach or anything like that. I don't believe so to this extent. But uh, Football Scoop reporting that uh, Quinn is headed to Virginia Tech with new head coach Brent Pry. The two coached together at Georgia Southern back in 2010. So that a report from Football Scoop. Uh, Sean Quinn heading to Virginia Tech to be a part of the defensive staff there with Brent Pry, and we absolutely wish Coach the best and uh, will do a great job wherever he goes. But I know made a made a big-time impact, and uh, every time you would go spend some time with the program and talk to the team and talk to the players, I know you always had a great time. My, uh, my nonprofit, the Uncommon Crew, was blessed enough to, we was blessed enough to be able to take our young crew, uh, you know, to Savannah. And uh, OPO just was there, the, uh, the athletic director. He he talked to my he talked to my group, crew, and then uh, Coach Sean Quinn gave all my kids uh, Savannah State shirts and uh, just let them go through the facility. Got to meet the offensive staff, defensive staff. Got to meet Coach Demasi and everybody. Yeah, great coach. You know, and, 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 and BJ, you know, he he was like Ben. Just let me know when you want to come back and speak to the team. Sean Quinn is a good dude, man. He really, really is. And I think sometimes when you are a coach, BJ, we never ever see you past that. He's Coach Sean Quinn. No, he's the man, Sean Quinn. A man that has children. I think two daughters, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And but the one thing he never did, he never ever, he never ever ever gave anything less than 100 percent to, to Savannah State. He is going to be missed. One time we called Sean Quinn outside of his many travel. He's painting. I think he was painting the locker room, painting it, literally in the midst of painting it. So. They don't make him like Sean Quinn, a man that's very, very well traveled, coached at a lot of, a lot of good places. BJ, but yes, he's going to be missed at Savannah State in that Savannah community in the Golden Isles. But one thing about it, BJ, he's added another region to his recruitment whenever he gets it because he's going to have to get out there and recruit. But sure, hey man, you you wish the best for coaches. Every coach wants to see how how they measure up, no matter what. But as far as like Savannah State, whoever comes behind Coach Sean Quinn. You got some big shoes to fill, but he would definitely be missed. Did the right way when he was there. Did the right way in his departure. Shout out to Coach Sean Quinn getting it done. And I know Coach has talked about his coordinators, Coach Damasi, Coach Sims, a couple of potential you know, great options there. But uh, looking forward to the future at, at Savannah State, obviously. I think there's a lot of success to build off of, move forward with. Uh, but Sean Quinn, again, reports football scoop out that he is joining Brent Pry's staff. Brent Pry was the defensive coordinator at Penn State for the last six seasons. He is now the head coach at at Virginia Tech, I think just today maybe had the press conference in Blacksburg and uh, big time.
time opportunity there with one of the top programs in the ACC. I know Coach Qu- Coach Quinn's been around, has been at yes. Tennessee, I yes. think LSU mm-hmm. was at, I believe, Georgia Southern with Brent Pry in 2010. So should do a, should do a great job wherever he goes if it is with the Hokies there, and uh, wish him the best. Yeah, BJ, man, look, now we we don't, I never had a chance to go to uh, Virginia Tech before, never been to Blacksburg before, but being able to have guys like Coach, you know, Coach Sean Quinn on that staff, you know, he knows X and O's, people. Make no mistake about it. He knows X and O's, but I'm just happy for Coach Sean Quinn. I know it was a, I know it was a difficult decision for him to make to be able to leave. A lot of emotion. Exactly. A lot yes, of emotion was solid. But, but something he said about, you know, going this, you got to, you got to know this area, going into them outlets over there, you know, Pula, Georgia, walking in, uh, you know, walking in, seeing a, seeing a Savannah State section, yeah, yeah, BJ Can Proof. you bring that, you know, that audio up? You know, because, because, because what happens is, hey, man, that, that's progress, people. For those of you who don't know, Savannah State, man, I mean, you know, the flagship university in Savannah. And this was uh, some audio from Coach Quinn from earlier today. All joking aside, is this was the worst football program in America at any level. I, I can say that unequivocally when we got here. And, you know, last night there was an interesting thing that happened. I, as a football coach, my daughter had a birthday a month and a half ago, and I still hadn't got her a present. And I got done recruiting up just past Pooler, so I stopped in Tanger Outlets, and I walk in the Nike Outlet. And in the front door, I open the door, and there's a Savannah State section. And I'll be honest with you, I started bawling because I'm like, this would have never happened a couple years ago. And so that, to me, is is success, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, seeing the things people having pride and people stopping in town and people giving a rip, um, that's pretty cool. And the emotion there, Ben, from Sean Quinn, I know cares very deeply about about Savannah State, about Savannah, about – uh, his players about the program and uh, uh, deep emotion from him today when he's when he's visited with the media. Bigger than football, bigger than the game of football. Uh, it's it's about people. It's about the relationships. It's about how you impact those people. It's about the influence you have on those people. And BJ, I mean, Sean Quinn is the opinion of what you say when you talk about being a football coach. Has to be bigger than has to be bigger than how much money you're making. Has to be bigger than your incentives. Has to be bigger than trying to win Coach of the Year or we even winning the national championship. Are you are you uh, affecting these young people's minds? Are you helping them become better young men to become, you know, potential, you know, potentially grown men and to be? Because these men are going to be husbands and fathers and you know leaders. So I think Sean Quinn did that because one thing I know he said they was doing they was getting out into the community well before COVID. Now when COVID happened, obviously they had to shut things. But they going into the community, going into these high schools, middle schools, hospitals, youth centers, showing their faces. They were a part of the Savannah community, not just in the Savannah community. Coach Sean Quinn, man, he left the he left the last legacy, and he showed the right way to get it done. Plus, people, he got it done on the field too. Make no mistake about it. A lot of times, you you see Savannah State on that schedule, man. You know you're gonna have to deal with four quarters of football. But shout out to Coach Sean Quinn, Blacksburg. If you know once they make it official, if they make it official, they got a, they got a big time coach. I'm happy for him, man. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Well said. We'll come back, talk SEC championship game next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Are we overlooking Alabama? And by by we, I don't mean I don't mean Georgia. I mean the college football media fans, because I I I think Georgia has earned the right to be the favorite. I do. Uh, they are the number one team in the country. They've been the best, most complete, most consistent, most dominant team in the country. But just being honest, I've, I've been a little surprised at how many national previews I've, I've read, interviews I've heard, uh, social media posts that have either said or intimated that it's going to take a lot for Alabama to win this game. And I'll be honest, 
that's surprising to me. And, and, and these are just some, some notes to think about. And I want to be clear, this does not mean that I don't think Georgia wins the game. This does not mean that I don't think Georgia is the favorite. But I've heard, and maybe you haven't heard this, but maybe I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a different stream of information, but I've just gotten the vibe that the common sense, uh, or common consensus, I should say, maybe it is common sense, the common consensus is that Georgia might win this game fairly comfortably. And think about this. You said something the other day that resonated with me, just because when you hear things sometimes, maybe you process it differently. You said, Alabama's lost one game. By three points. And I think part of the reason we view Alabama with this air of kind of uh, weakness or being an incomplete team is because we're so used to that Alabama standard, right? Last year, undefeated, your wide receiver wins the Heisman, your quarterback sets the single, single, single season passer rating record, you're blowing out teams in big games. And when that's the standard, anything less than being maybe the greatest team of all time is going to be viewed as you taking a step back. And just because you're taking a step back from where you've been when you've been at your best doesn't necessarily mean you're taking a step back to the rest of the pack. And this is this is just something to think about. Alabama, as we mentioned, has lost one game on the road by a walk-off field goal. That was to Texas A&M. Alabama is ranked number 7th nationally in total offense and number 7th nationally in total defense. I mean, you think about balance – that's pretty darn good. Number seven in the country in offense, number seven in the country in defense. Beyond that, they arguably have the best offensive and best defensive player in all of college football. Bryce Young might be the Heisman Trophy favorite. He has 40 passing touchdowns. And Will Anderson might be a Heisman Trophy contender himself as an outside linebacker. He has 14 and a half sacks and 29 and a half tackles for loss. And oh, by the way, Nick Saban's your head coach. So I'll ask you, am I off? Am I sensing something that's not there? Is college football underestimating Alabama entering the SEC championship game? Of course they are. <clears throat> for BJ, for everything you just said, but I always remember this. The hardest thing to earn in, in, in college football, maybe even in sports, is the benefit of the doubt. The hardest thing to overcome is your own reputation. Alabama has a reputation of dominating teams. We, when Alabama loses, college football stops. What? Who beat them? Because Alabama has earned the benefit of the doubt throughout the nation. Everybody does it. People in the West Coast don't watch Alabama. People in the Northwest don't watch Alabama. People in the South, I mean, in, you know, I mean, on the West Coast don't watch Alabama. So if you're in the Northwest, you're in the, you, know, you don't watch them, but you know who they are. Like, BJ, there are cars out there that most people can't afford, but you know them when you see them. That's a so-and-so. That's what Alabama is. You know them when you see them. But... What has happened to this point in the last calendar, two calendar years, Alabama has lost one time. Now, did it look good winning against LSU? I mean, LSU? No, but they won. But that's what makes me nervous if I'm a Georgia fan is that they've had games where they've had turnovers. They've had games where they've given up big plays. They've had games where they've gotten off to slow starts, so they've had lulls, and they've still won. And all of this – May not matter. I mean, Georgia. If, if Georgia plays an A-plus game, I don't think there's anybody in the country that can beat them. Mm -hmm. But if they don't, I think Alabama has a higher ceiling than maybe we remember. And I think this team is much closer to being the Alabama of last year than being this, I don't know, team ranked somewhere between 8 and 15 that's kind of going to the Capital One Bowl. I think they're closer to last year than they are that I think this is a scary team. Okay. 
I mean, BJ, you make a good point when you say if, if Georgia plays an A-plus game. What if Alabama plays an A-plus game? Because you just said Alabama has arguably the best defensive player. He can wreck a game. 14 and a half sacks means that's how many times he's won. That's how many pressures he's won. So, that's a minute, right? Should, should I mean, arguably the talk of the 2021 season when you think about the team he's on and what he represents for the team he's on. What if he's, what if he's on his backside? Because they can't keep Adam Anderson off him. And what if Bryce Young is throwing it through the air against a Georgia? Because the thing about Georgia, when we talk about Georgia's defense, we're talking about that front seven. We don't know how good or bad that back end is because they can't get the ball off with so much pressure. Haven't been consistently tested. So what I'm saying is the one team you don't want to get their best from is Alabama. That's taking nothing away from Georgia. But if Alabama's at their best, BJ, we just talked about it. Alabama can can Alabama beating a team twenty to zero, it's like another team beating a team fifty to zero because they'll put a stranglehold on you. Because no matter what, Kirby Smart learned everything he's doing from the guy he's going up against. But the one thing Nick Saban knows about Kirby, he knows everything about Kirby. Kirby doesn't know everything about Nick. And the thing about Nick, Nick is doing it with a guy in Bryce Young who's very very young. But if Bryce Young and that offense can make Georgia's defense nervous, and then that defense for Alabama, because I guarantee you this, and I could be wrong, Brock Bowers is not going to beat Georgia. I mean, but we Alabama on Saturday. They're not going to let their best player beat them. George Pickens, you know, I mean, I'm happy that he's uh, – Yeah, we'll he, see. We'll, he, we'll see. see how much he factors in BJ. But I, this is just this, – this is what makes football football, right? If you were George, you're thinking, look, man, we've done this thing. Played him in the national championship just three years removed from that. First time we've had an undefeated season. First time going undefeated in the SEC in a long time with this schedule. We are the number one team, and Alabama isn't. Everybody's talking about us. Nobody's talking about Alabama. We are the we listen. We are the favorite. Alabama is the underdog. Everything is going our way, but that's still Alabama. See, no matter what, Alabama has beaten everybody. But and that's not one just team. and and that's not just saying it's still Alabama either. I mean, you can do it like this. Yes. Alabama probably has the best quarterback in the country, yep. Bryce Young. Alabama probably, if you go off production this year, has the best receiver in the country in Jamison Williams. Alabama probably has the best offensive lineman in the country in Evan Neal. Alabama probably has the could be Jordan Davis, but probably has the best defensive player in the country in 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 Will Anderson. I mean, this is this is going to be a battle. I'm expecting an absolute battle on Saturday, and I will be the first one to come in here on Monday if if, if Georgia wins this game by ten, like some people are predicting, saying that is a seismic. I mean, that is a statement, and I think Georgia has that in them. I just think that some of the weak weak. Week of buildup has been, yeah, Georgia's clearly better. If this happens, Alabama has a chance. And I do not agree with that. I, I, I don't. I'm not, I'm not, <clears throat> BJ, the one thing I, I'm, I do my best to stand away from is national narratives. Because you got to sell the game, right? You got to sell the game. I get that part. Georgia, Georgia has been the clear-cut number one team in the country all year. But just because you're the number one team in the country doesn't mean you can't be beat. And that doesn't mean you're better than the number two or number three. You've been the clear-cut number one. Now, Alabama is still that immovable object. What you got to go back to with the Texas A&M game, that's the first time Jimbo Fisher and my, the last time I checked, he's made a guarantee in the offseason. We coming for those dudes. And they beat them. But BJ, they haven't lost since. They haven't looked like themselves, but they haven't lost. People go, did Alabama win? 
BJ, you 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 have to go through the box scores. You go, man. The box score tells a part of the story. It don't tell the whole thing. You want to see the product, but you also want to go and see what transpired in the box score. But the one thing Kirby Smart has not done yet is beat Nick. Been right there. Been very close. Very close. So sometimes, BJ, it's proving it to yourself. Because if Georgia loses, what does that do to the confidence of Kirby Smart? I want to get into that. I want to get into some of that and sort of the psychology around this game. I think there are a lot of storylines, kind of mental storylines at play here ahead of this game. But, I, Ben, I look at this as one of those games where the first five minutes sets the tone. Because Georgia and Alabama both feel like they are good enough to win the national championship. And I think both is aware of the challenge that, that awaits. If you come out and you're Georgia and maybe you get an early touchdown or maybe you get a 10 to nothing lead, I think that is an affirming statement that furthers maybe even just the hint of doubt that might exist in the minds of the Alabama players. And I think that in Atlanta with what's probably going to be a big-time Georgia crowd kind of adds to the energy around the dogs. Furthermore, I, I, I think this is a team defensively that if they get a lead and they can attack and you're one-dimensional, that's really difficult to overcome. On the other side, if Alabama comes out and they get up 10 to nothing or 13 to 3, do you start, do you look around and go, here we go again? Or is this a position we haven't been in yet if we're Georgia? We've seen Georgia just ease their way through even top 15, top 10 teams, but they haven't been in a game yet, correct me if I'm wrong, where it's 13 to three or it's 14 to six and and you're down or maybe uh, and the Clemson game was back and forth I get that but this is a little bit different than a week one game I, I I think if Alabama can come out and dictate the tempo of the game early that's their path to victory and conversely if Georgia can do the same that's their path to victory I think the first couple of drives on both sides are going to really set the tone it really really is BJ and this, this it's a battle this is going to be a battle of uh, will not just skill. It's, isn't it crazy that Georgia has the headline defense, Alabama has the headliner on defense. Georgia has the better team. Alabama is still the greatest team in college football right now. Kirby Smart is, is the premier coach in college football going up against the greatest coach to ever coach in college football. Storylines, storylines, storylines galore. But I think for me, I think, I'm just looking forward to a good game. I think if, you, if you're a guy, you know, uh, like Stetson Bennett, who has played against Alabama, who understands what the task is, it's going to be a battle of two halves. It's going to be a battle of wills. It's going to be a battle of the X and O's. We'll see what happens, but I'm just looking forward to a great game on Saturday. All right, guys, normally I wouldn't do this, right? Uh, this is PJ, by the way. Nor- normally, <laughs> normally I wouldn't do this, but i got to step in. We just got a call. I really liked what he said and how he said it. Uh, wanted just me to relay the message, not necessarily come on the air, but uh, Brett, uh, Brett calling in, said, you're talking about Alabama and, and, and Georgia and whatnot and, uh, you know, teams being intimidated of Alabama and things like that. And he's like, he used the example. He said, you know, have you ever seen Lion King? I was like, that's one of my favorite movies. It came out the year I was born. And uh, he, he said, you know the hyenas, when they say, ooh, Mufasa, oh, Mufasa. They always take a step back and go, ooh, Mufasa. So they used to do that. Everyone used to do that. Alabama, oh, it's Alabama. They're scared. They're intimidated. He doesn't think Georgia's like that this year. He doesn't think when they hear Alabama, they start to shake and give them that respect and back up. They think they're the big dogs and, and ready to take it, not intimidated or scared anymore. And uh, I, 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 I got to say, I kind of agree with I just, him. But. I, 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 can, I can believe that, but I always remember, 
And, 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 but listen, I, 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 just, I, I like that analogy, but I, w- I would say to Brent, I would say to Brent, remember, they had to create a diversion to get rid of Mufasa. Ain't going to be no diversion Wait, are we this getting way. Into the, are we getting into the dynamics no, of no, the no, Lion no, no, King? I'm, 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 I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Nobody, I mean, Brent didn't know he was getting that. All, all, all I'm t- listen, Brent, I do agree. Listen, there is no fear when you mention Alabama when you, when you, when you play at Georgia. There shouldn't be any fear, right? Because Georgia has proven, but but I heard a great a, gr- a great man once said, "It's not how many fights you had, it's who you fought." So you've been you've been the best every time you stepped in the ring. But underdogs can fall. I'm not saying they gonna fall, BJ. But you know, just like I know, respect is earned every single Saturday. You got to earn this Saturday because yes, Georgia quote doesn't need this game to go to the college football playoff, but they need this game for a confidence booster. Because if you lose to Alabama, think about what the storyline is going to be. They'll say, think about if Georgia loses to Alabama, goes on to win that championship. People are going to be talking about they still couldn't beat. So I think it's a lot on the line, BJ, but think about it. When Tampa Bay finally made it to the Super Bowl, they finally beat them Eagles. Right? You always it's always that team that just won't go away. The Braves to win the World Series, they finally beat them Dodgers. I'm not taking away the you know the Astros and the Brewers. So sometimes you got to prove it to you. So we'll see what happens this Saturday. And Nick Saban, Nick Saban never came out and said he can't be beat. He said, You gotta beat me. So Kirby, he's gonna be right over there on the sideline. And BJ, you know it's gonna be a great one. But BJ, you know just like I know, confidence in life is a huge factor. And with everything you do, if Georgia comes up short, they like, dude. Because most of the teams they beat, they were better than, right? Most teams didn't meet the talent threshold. Like I said, Jordan Davis might be the best storyline on the D-line. The best player in this game might be on the other side. He plays on the D-line or outside linebacker. The best quarterback in this game might be Bryce Young. The the best quarterback for this game might be Stetson Bennett. Keep in mind, Stetson Bennett has a – Better passer. Uh, 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 and Stetson Bennett is, has yeah. more experience because he yeah. played Alabama last year. But, B.J., what if Alabama is at their best versus Georgia at their best? Georgia at their best versus Alabama at their best. That means offense and defense. Alabama might have a slight edge with their offense if they can find a way to move the football. We'll see. But that's why we watch the game. That's why we analyze the game. Brent, I think that's a great uh, analogy. But Mufasa never wanted people to fear him. People just feared him. He never asked nobody – too for him, but it took every hyena they had like, and the help I, of his brother. I'm pretty sure he like did want people to fear. Like he wanted to rule by fear. Like no, 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 no. He he he, he didn't I feel he, pretty confident about that. He he didn't. No, no, he didn't. Everybody everybody knows he was. Everybody knows he was the king of king of you know uh, prime rock or wherever they were. And we getting all into the Lion King. But all I'm saying is, BJ, he respected everybody in the animal kingdom. Though he respected everybody. I remember him saying, Wait, it, he respected every. Are you remembering the same Lion King? Yeah. Listen, listen, listen. Because listen, listen, he says, uh, he says, uh, Daddy, uh, Simba said, Daddy, don't we eat the antelope? He says, Yes, but Simba, we die. Our body becomes the grass. The antelope eats the grass. Oh, we all- I'm, I'm messing. I'm getting them confused. I'm <clears> thinking <throat> about what's the, what's the bad one's name? Scar. My, okay, that, that's on me. Oh, okay. So the, I- the, the whole time I think we're talking about <laughs> Scar, and I'm like, wait, what? No, okay, yeah, okay, that's on. 
that's a terrible mistake. That's a horrible <laughs> mistake. No, Mustafa did not want to rule by fear. Yes. Okay, I got it. Mufasa ruled by respect. I think I have to watch Lion King tonight now. Mufa- to get on Mufa- the Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa ruled by respect. I'm thinking about Scar the whole time going, what is he talking about? Scar did want to rule by fear. Like, I, no, Scar, no, no, Scar, Scar wanted, to rule, he wanted to rule by intimidation. Didn't right. work. But at the same, but listen, Alabama's not trying to intimidate. But BJ, once again, this is why they play the game. See, this is what happens after after three months of football season. <laughs> you forget about the classics. Great analogy, Brando. Great analogy, my my, my, my brother. Sincere Great apologies to Cam, Ben. That's a terrible, terrible misstep. I don't even know where to go from here. I confuse me. And Scar? And Scar. We'll come back. I do want to get into the psychology of this series, though. Good call. 912-342-7184 if you want to jump in here. We'll come back with more Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back here with you on Three and Out. Yeah, tweet at us, at Pigskin Radio. Man, terrible mistake with the Lion King last segment. We're talking Georgia, Alabama, and the SEC championship game. And, Ben, I wanted to talk about the psychology here because I do think Brent's call has a point where you think about in the past, maybe when you played Alabama, and I'm not saying that there's – a lack of conviction amongst Alabama's opponents. I'm not saying that. I, I, I believe everybody takes the field, especially at that level, thinking they're going to win. But is there, when you play a team like Alabama, or Alabama has been, an air of we have to be perfect on the other side when you look across the line of scrimmage and there's Alabama, and I guess given the narratives, the relative narratives around the Crimson Tide this season, is any bit of that fear factor still there in your mind? Uh Yes, yes and no, BJ. Yes, because until you've done it, you know, you want to prove you can do it. But no, because fear is something that you use to help prepare you forward, not not necessarily because of the guy in front of you, but fear of not making a mistake like my assignment. But I will say this about mistakes, you know, in this game. Georgia is used to creating, make, making the other team create mistakes. And, and I'm talking about the Georgia defense, create, you know, making the offense create mistakes or putting them in uh, binds. What if Alabama does its best Georgia impression on defense, and they make this and they make this Georgia offense look very, 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 very mediocre? Because the one thing about Alabama BJ that you got to give them credit for, they've won every way because they've been in every situation. I've never seen a team be criticized more for winning than Alabama because it's not oh man Alabama only won they only won by three, they only won by ten because going into the game. I said, look, y'all be letting y'all be letting these betting eyes get in y'all get, mess with y'all mind, as if to say the other team don't show up to play too. So, if you're Georgia, you got to, you got to do what Kirby Smart said. Yes, pr- pressure is a privilege, but he's talking about the pressure that you put on others. The pressure that you feel is different because I will say I, I feel pressure every game I've ever played in, right? From two ways: one, I want to get my assignment done; two, I don't want to let my team down. But that team in front of me. They're good enough to, to bring out my worst uh, assets or my work, you know. So I, I I do think, BJ, when you think about this game, it is a mind thing, right? Nick Saban has this. Nick Saban has this confidence because all he's doing is padding his stat. I'm only adding to my legacy. I'm all ready to go. So really, every game I play can only take away from it, if you think about it, because they waiting on me to lose. Oh, see, he ain't that good. He's won seven. Like, are we are we playing? Are we tripping? Think about how many people have become legends because of Nick Saban. Urban, Dabo, they became legendary because of who they beat, 
Not not just the fact that they won. So let's let's not do that. So you could take Urban Meyer, Jimbo, Dabo together. They still ain't got as many as Nick. So I think what happens is BJ Georgia has a lot on the line. One, you're trying to get, you're trying to show that you can beat that team for Tuscaloosa. You're trying to show that you ain't just a regular season fluke. As far as like, which I don't even like to use the word fluke and Georgia together, but they ain't used to this. So, I mean, BJ, I'm, it's going to be great. I just think for Kirby, though, man, you're talking about a legacy builder? It ain't too many guys that say they beat Alabama. Not not beat them. Like, you know, you got Ole Miss when they had uh, – uh, I can't even think I can't even think of the young man's name. Uh, he's uh, – uh, his, uh, his uncle is the, uh, his uncle is the uh, quarterback that played for uh, Buffalo all those years. Oh, Chad Kelly. Chad, Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly. You talk about – you talk about – you know, old Johnny, old Johnny Manziel, Johnny football. But those guys had a great moment. One went on to win Heisman, other won it. Ala- Georgia's trying to beat Alabama to prove, hey, man, we the best team. And this is something to say all year long. Not ebbs and flows. We beat everybody. Yeah, it's amazing. I, we, we'll see, BJ, but I, I, I just think that football is, is, is so humbling because no matter what you do, that, that immovable object is lurking. They wanted Alabama to lose twice so bad. They wanted some kind of way for either Ole Miss to kind of come back and because Georgia let me because I will say this, I don't care what no Georgia fan says no one looks forward to playing Alabama. That's kind of what I'm getting at here, and it's not that Georgia isn't capable. That's an absurd notion. Yes. Georgia is the favorite; they've earned that. They are the number one team in the country. But I want to ask you something because I've heard you say this specifically as it pertains to football, where you've said a lot of people are confident. You got to be convinced. Are you confident that you're going to win the game? Yes. Are you convinced you're going to win the game? Do you think that every player, as you put it, on Georgia's team isn't just confident, but they're convinced that they're the better team on Saturday? No. Because, BJ, you have no reason to be convinced because you've never done this before. See, everybody else you've played, I've beat this team before. I've seen this team before. What about, it's almost like this, BJ. It's like having a conversation and you're great at what you do, but you're trying to avoid that one mistake you had or that one. What about Alabama? Well, what about them? So, yes, they are confident. Man, I'm convinced, man, when the game is over, when that clock says triple zero and we got more points than them because I don't care who you are. Alabama has been here for a while. You ever see Alabama facilities? Alabama's updating their facilities not because they got new recruits, because they got to add another national championship wing. They got a wing for it. How many teams can say all these years? How many teams can say every recruiting class got a? I, I was I was watching um I don't know um I was watching uh Derek Henry uh, on a podcast. They said Derek Henry, man, how they paid you at Alabama? How they got you to come? He said they paid me in rings, and he stuck his hand up. All I'm saying, BJ, is this. When you Alabama, you chasing a different legacy than Georgia. You saying, man, we don't want to be the recruiting class that didn't get it done. Georgia's trying to be the first team to get it done since 1980. So you're going up against two different legacies. And I will say this. If Georgia gets over the hump and they beat Alabama, they can go, Whew. But what's scary is Alabama beats Georgia. You might have to see them again. 
That's the thing. I right? think what's also interesting <laughs> about the SEC championship game, though, because I agree with you 100%. If Georgia beats Alabama, there will be this exhale. There will be this, we can finally, you know, kind of just, just walk without thinking about dealing with answering questions about that. Okay, we can walk forward to the playoff. But here's what's interesting, or move forward to the playoff. If you beat Alabama, and that's this historic, you know, maybe a changing of the guard type win, that's going to feel like a national championship. But you still got to turn around and get yeah. right for not yeah. one more game, two more games. Yeah. So I think regardless of what happens, it's going to be a test for Georgia psychologically. If you beat Alabama, can you still maintain that edge in your next game and then hopefully your next game after that? And if you lose to Alabama, what's your mindset going to be if you run into them again in the playoff? Alabama – hopefully Georgia understands that Alabama is doing them the greatest favor ever because Alabama is preparing you for what's coming, not just who's in front of you right now. Every team in this playoff is an Alabama because there is nothing else. See, the greatest thing about football is when that's it. Like, I, I had a coach tell me, look, man, look at football for one game is you, you, you know, you know, you, you're, right, you're walking a tightrope. There is no net under you. There is no – that's all you got. You got to make it to the other side. So Alabama is hopefully preparing Georgia for what it's like to be the top dog, like to be at the top of the mountain. Alabama is always the hunted, and they hunters. Georgia is usually the hunter. They ain't been hunted before. I don't care what Georgia say. So I think, BJ, for Nick Saban, he's saying, look, man, if they beat us, they beat us. They're a great team. They got some great players. You know, Georgia has been incredible this year. But in the back of his mind, he goes, one of my favorite movies is Biker Boys, man. And on the movie, you know, uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, he's a top dog. He's a top dog, right? He's a top dog. And uh, dude comes up to him and says, I don't think you got what it, I don't think you got what it takes to be the, be the king of Cali anymore. They called him the king of Cali. But he said, I don't think you got what it takes to be the king of Cali anymore. Lawrence Fishburne looks away and looks at him and says, you better look again. See, Nick Saban, people think Nick Saban ain't got no more. Based off of what? Because he lost the game? Nick Saban, he ain't saying this to Kirby. He's saying to everybody who think I ain't got no more, boy, you better look again. You think he likes this, being a touchdown underdog? Yes, yes, BJ, because at the end of the day, he knows that his team earned that, right? If Georgia goes undefeated, Nick Saban going to go, welcome to the club. We did this last year, right? So I, I just think that, BJ, this is what makes football what it is. It's like you can't escape. You can't escape it. You, you got to love it. And Nick Saban had Nick Saban, you know, he right now he's you know he's telling you how nobody wants to win the game more than the players, and I believe it. You got uh Coach Bob Soup saying the program is the players, which it is. But old Kirby, if Kirby doesn't win, BJ, they're gonna be saying, nobody said, man, it's always that one, right? Like, yeah, it's always that one. But to get to elite status, you got to beat the elite. Georgia has had an elite season. Alabama's elite. Georgia has five stars. Alabama has five-star culture. There is a difference. Even if Georgia beats Alabama, I don't know if the changing of the guards is that BJ because Dabo did it because we were talking about Dabo being the next, right? But Dabo also had Trevor. Dabo also had Deshaun. He also had Travis Etienne in that defensive line. Now, Georgia got them horses on offense. I mean, on defense, that defensive line. But BJ, if we look up and it's 21 to 10 going into the fourth, Alabama up 11, you're going to be like, we shouldn't be surprised, but it should be a good game either way. Still got to wait a couple of days, and everybody's <laughs> fired up, ready to go. 
Uh, it's going to be a good one on Saturday, Georgia and Alabama. We'll come back three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. See you tomorrow afternoon, uh, second down with Christian Gokel and company, and uh, three and out. We will be broadcasting live at Coach's Corner in Savannah from two to six. We'll be there, so make plans to stop by, say hello, Ben. We may even have a couple of copies of the book with us potentially. I'm bentroop84.com to get copies of Uncommon Unfinished, but uh, come by. We might have some copies. We'd love to talk some sports with you. Get your prediction. Do not give your pick yet. Do not. But have you already made your pick? Don't say it. But for the SEC championship game, have you already made your pick? No, BJ, because this is why it's good to, like, start the week off. You know, you wake up, oh, it's going to be this. Then you start – Breaking down the analytics and you start breaking down the mind game, you start breaking down the individual matchups, who who has the edge at each position, uh, who's better on third down, who's better, you know, uh in the red zone, who's better at the halftime, who's better on special teams. It's so many, it's so many factors within the game, but this is the one time you can't have a wrong choice because both of these teams are obviously very, very deserving. But BJ, I'm just saying. This confidence walking around with your chest out saying the Georgia's just going to dominate Alabama, I'm not saying it can't happen, but you're talking about I got to see it to believe it because Alabama has scratched and clawed to get back to this point with a bunch of young players, with their youngest player being their most important player, that being Bryce Young. But BJ, I'm just saying, I'm still, I, it's, it's, it is just Wednesday, just hump day, but I'm going I'm to I'm keep that pick. I'm going to reserve that pick till Friday, you know, when, uh, when uh, you know, Atlanta is probably already filled up with people right now. They're already – Barking at each other all down Peachtree. But, hey, man, Georgia has earned this right to be in this spot, BJ. We'll see what happens. But going up against the Tide, that's not a winning recipe. Hope to see you tomorrow at Coach's Corner in Savannah. Again, we'll have interviews with uh, Brian Bohannon, head coach at Kennesaw State. The Owls. Who? As they get ready to take on East Tennessee State. It's going to happen, people, all week. And then we'll also chat with Gary Goff, head coach at Valdosta State, uh, as they get ready to take on uh, Bowie State, I believe, for a spot in the Division II semifinals. So a couple of in-state teams, the college level, in addition to Georgia, making runs uh, in the playoffs at a national championship. So we'll see you tomorrow at Coach's Corner. For Cam Urshry, Ben Troop, I'm B.J. Bennett. Another edition of 3 and Out in the Books. We are all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We are streaming live ESPNCoastal.com. You can also find us on the ESPN radio app.